Hello and welcome to the Dr. Lisa Cloud podcast. Today we're talking with Dana and Shana Robinson. Hi, Dana and Shana. How are you? Hey, Lisa. Hello. How are you doing? Where are we starting on your journey today? Well, I think we should uh, talk about how we got to today. Uh, first, uh, uh, which might be of some interest to your listeners. That sounds good. And, and we, Shana and I both are instructors in a spiritual practice called shamanism. And some of your listeners may know a little something about shamanism. Uh, the shaman is kind of like a medicine woman or medicine man. That we ought to define shamanism itself before we do anything else. Sure. And it's a spiritual practice found all over the world, um, certainly in indigenous societies in North America, South America, Africa, India, Indonesia. The word shaman itself comes from the Tungus people of Siberia. So Siberia is quite a, a home of shamanism. And translated, the word means he or she who knows. Not he or she who believes, but he or she who knows. So this is a, a, this is a person who has experience, and that's related to what, what is the domain of the shaman. The domain of the shaman is the spirit world, and spirits will define shamanism, a worldwide spiritual phenomenon from tribal people to tribal people, but also many similarities. And the one constant uh, amongst all shamanic peoples is this knowledge, rather than just belief, this knowledge that the spirits are real. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think the whole point of understanding that reality of the spirit world comes to us very clearly in knowing that we are not alone. And in knowing that we are not alone, we feel that we can have backup in making decisions. We can build a certain kind of power and confidence in the world. And that leads to a sense of wholeness um, so that we're not people who are lost, fumbling. It's an enhancement in terms of dealing with ordinary reality, real-world issues and situations. But Dana, why don't you tell us a little bit about what a spirit is, because that might yeah. be interesting. Well, I think people have a pretty good idea of what a spirit is. Uh, certainly, a ghost is a spirit. Uh, we could say a spirit is the non-material essence of anything that is. But also, uh, there are other definitions of spirit. Anything that you encounter on what we call a shamanic journey. So many shamans worldwide actually take these spirit flights, these spirit travels or trips to other realms, specifically upward to what we call, the, what we call the upper world and downward to what we call the lower world, not hell, but the lower world. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's important when we talk about this with upper world, lower world, and spirit travel. What we're talking is the voyage of our awareness into these other realms. And it's like shifting frequencies on a radio dial hmm. so that you're able to tune into a different frequency, which takes you out of ordinary reality. And I think the idea here is that there's no better or no worse. So this idea of upper and lower, it's not a hierarchical thing. It's simply the, one of the ways that our minds can get around and understand that there are different destinations hmm. beyond what we see in our daily lives, in our daily world. And by tuning into them at these various frequencies, we can, we can make connections, and these connections can be our helping spirits. Yeah, so, well, well yeah. can I stop you there yeah. for a sec? Because I know when I came to you guys to learn more about shamanism, I had some specific reasons to figure out what the the physical pain that I was feeling was all about and to find some healing. But I was wondering about when you, let's say your life before shamanism and then like how you came to it and what you were searching for or maybe how did it, how did it help you? Wow, big question. Yeah. Well, first, <laughs> I want to give you 
give you one more definition of spirit. It comes from uh, really our main human teacher of shamanism, Michael Harner, now deceased. He died at the age of 88 back in 2018. Uh, an anthropologist of uh, some repute, uh, the author of The Way of the Shaman. You know, uh, if I were going to recommend any one book on shamanism, it would be The Way of the Shaman. Also, his last book, um, Cave and Cosmos, another excellent book. And in that book, he gives us a, a wonderful definition of spirit. And here it is. Uh, Shane, why don't you give the people this? Uh, sure, I'm, I'm happy to give it. Definition. So, Harner says that a spirit is an animate essence. And this animate essence has intelligence and different degrees of power. It's seen most easily in complete darkness, much less frequently in bright light, and in an altered state of consciousness better than in an ordinary state. And Harner goes on to say, in fact, there's some question whether you can see the spirit in an ordinary state of consciousness at all. Hmm. And I'm glad, actually, that Dana asked me to read this, because this gets back to your question about how we got into this. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just answer myself here, that I had always been interested in what was strange, what was um, different from what we perceive every day. I remember my mother buying me books uh, like The Twilight Zone, and I was fascinated with some of these strange occurrences that people would report. And so that made me what I would call a seeker, somebody who's on a quest to discover more. And it led me through a number of different kinds of traditions, meditation, some, some things that aren't even extant anymore, like the EST training, working to understand consciousness. And so when I finally discovered shamanism as a practice versus how I had come across it first through the study of anthropology, taking it to the point of participation in it, that really opened my eyes because it seemed to be, for me, a unifying field of all the odd things that I had studied and encountered. Somehow they were brought under this umbrella. Hmm. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of my path, and so able to understand this idea of spirit at a different level hmm. was just key, and to be able to experience spirit at a different level. Now, uh, I would say my uh, road to shamanism is very similar to Shane's in that I certainly was a seeker, always had, I think, uh, an affinity for the spiritual. And so therefore, when I was a, a kid growing up in various places in Europe and the United States, uh, I would take myself to church, even though my parents had no interest in going to church at all. So I would go by myself to church. And once I hit my early 20s, I pursued things like the Tai Chi, which I don't know if that's really a spiritual practice necessarily, but uh, it does involve power of a sort. And when I use the word power, by the way, I'm using it in the most positive sense of the word. And we like to define power, by the way, as an amalgam of energy plus intelligence plus ethics plus love. And so the kind of power that many shamans deal in and with is embodies that kind of power. Not all shamans, but at any rate, ultimately I got involved with charismatic Christianity, which I never felt that I turned my back on. And there was certainly plenty of power, the same kind of power that I just defined in that phenomenon. I also explored the uh, meditative work of Sri Bhagwan Rajneesh, uh, a somewhat controversial but um, very interesting guru of India, was heavily influenced by the works of Carlos Castaneda, who really talked about uh, in depth about his experiences with uh, a shaman in northern Mexico. And all that preceded uh, my attending a workshop taught by Michael Harner uh, back in 1981. And um, my eyes were really opened to this other component of the universe, which is the, the spiritual component. And using some very simple techniques, shamanism allows us to glimpse the spirit that embodies all things all beings, but also all things, and it enables us to travel to other realms 
to meet the very helpful spirits of wisdom and power uh, that can, uh, you know, assist us as we negotiate this thing called life. Part of shamanism, I mean, a shaman deals with two main uh, areas, healing and what we call divination, or that is the acquisition of knowledge, answers to questions, typically using spiritual means. So there's there was so much uh, to be learned and gained from uh, study of uh, shamanism. I was going to add, you're talking about um, the shaman as a healer and a diviner, certainly. Angelus Arians talks about the shaman in four other ways that kind of match the way Dan Groff used to talk about them. Talking about the path of the warrior, the path of the adventurer, the path of the healer, and the path of the teacher. And these are four different ways that, that shamanism presents itself. And of course, there's overlapping. Many times when you're, you're teaching, you are acting as a healer, etc. But I found it really interesting because the way I kind of wound my way into shamanism was through something Dana mentioned, the Castaneda books. And I remember my mother liked to give me books to read, you know, at Christmas time, whatever. And she found this wonderful box set, and she was sure I was going to like this box set. And I can swear to you that wherever my mama is right now, she is giving a great big belly laugh because <laughs> she had no clue what was in those books and where they were going to take me. <laughs> so um, it was just like, Mama, did you know what those were really about? <laughs> no, not much. But uh, the point there is that Castaneda as he was exploring shamanism, he was doing some things that were very different from what we do in our practice. First of all, he was using entheogens, which are plant medicines that help you change consciousness. We use the drum to help change consciousness. But more importantly than that, he was becoming the warrior and the adventurer. Not so much dealing in healing and teaching himself, but the idea for him, the warrior was becoming impeccable. It was setting up standards for himself that, that helped him attain a level of consciousness and impeccability, you know, unquestioning behavior in the world at, at the highest level of personal authenticity. And as part of doing that, he was also an adventurer. He was taking these sojourns into the other realms and coming back with information. And it's information, it's not like data. It's not like he's going to go out and bring back algebraic formula. But he was going and coming back with different understandings, broader understandings of the world. And so we can see that even in the practices that, that we do as healing and divination, that some of that flows into what we do. But for me, those kind of things were a bit of the hook that drew me forward, kept me questing for shamanic insights, information, practices that could enhance how I perceived the world and how I interacted. When... I was researching about Michael Harner. I, I liked what I had read about how he had gone through a lot of different cultures that used shamanism and then he came up with this core shamanism, which I know you guys follow that, and it doesn't have to do with taking any kind of mind-altering drugs or plants. So I, I liked that part because whenever I want to do a shamanic journey here at home, I just turn the drum on, or I have the, the recording, of, but you can also do the drumming, but I, that's one thing that I really liked about taking your workshops was that it was using the drum to shift mm -hmm. that consciousness, so I'm glad you right. mentioned I, that. I think there's great value in that because one of the things that, that we've learned as we've done a lot of reading and study in this is that many times when you're using entheogens, these are the um, God-touching, because it has theo in it, um, mind-altering substances. There's a lot of preparation for that. And from those who have studied plant medicine, and I've, I've studied some myself, the strongest plants that you have are those that are in your environment. Hmm. And so when you, and, and within 50 miles of you, in that circumference, you guys as beings together in that 50-degree or mile circle, share the same water, share the same air. You are you are part almost of a, the same organism, hmm. and so those are the plants that are most powerful for you, and with which and with whom I should say you have the greatest rapport. So when you step outside of that, you're you're dealing with strangers, 
And I think a lot of people who experience some of the entheogens from South America, if you're North American, I'm not saying there isn't value there, but I'm saying you're dealing with strangers. And so there's a, there's a lot of caution and preparation that should happen for that. There should happen, and there is risk. Right. And Michael Harner, who certainly was uh, learned shamanism uh, in South America. With some of those cultures and experiences. Imbibing in ayahuasca in uh, the Amazon region. He himself, in his later years, warned against the ingestion of that for uh, North Americans. Uh, mm. And I think for the very reasons that uh, Shana suggests, the possibility of possession by the plant itself. And the spirit of the plant. The spirit of the plant. And uh, possession is one of the things that shamans deal with, and uh, specifically depossessing uh, people or even places that are possessed by spirits that could be much happier in other places. But unlike uh, certain spiritual practices that see possessing spirits as evil and are treated as enemies, the shaman, uh, at least in the shamanism that we've learned, uh, we treat the possessing spirit with kindness, almost as a brother or sister, and help them with, with, with our caring for them to get to a better place. And of course, exit the person or the place that um, they are troubling. For anyone to suggest that there isn't love in shamanism, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Hmm. Now, can shamanism, uh, can, can certain spirits be used by uh, shamans uh, to hurt others? Well, yeah, I, I've often said a, a bar of soap can be used to hurt someone. All you have to do is throw it at about 100 miles an hour at someone's head. So pretty much anything can be used to hurt someone, and that, and that includes uh, shamanism. But as Michael Harner said, anyone who would be foolish enough to try that, to use the spiritual means to hurt others, will, will wind up being very sorry that he or she did that, because in his opinion, they would come back on the perpetrator threefold and maybe the perpetrator's family. Hmm. So this is not a, a practice that's about warfare, although it is used in uh, spiritual warfare, I think particularly in the Amazon and in other places as well. Yeah. I want to get back to your idea of the drum, though, because I think it's really important to recognize that using the drum to shift consciousness. Now, a lot of, I'll make a quick comment here. A lot of people think that switching consciousness is like you're going to be tranced out, you don't know anything, you're, you're, you're gone. Not necessarily. The drum just shifts your brain waves to a relaxed but attentive state where you are in control of shifting the frequency, and so you can visit various realms. I'll just put it that way. So you have an awareness, you're not zoned out, but the idea is there's control. You are able to exercise your will within the state, the altered state, of using the drum. And that may not happen with an entheogen. Hmm. So the drum itself helps you shift the consciousness to do your work and yet be able to come back with an awareness of what you've done, a recall. So, you know, it's one thing to go out and be zoned out and have this marvelous time out there and come back and say, wow, I had a great trip, but I don't remember anything other than it was great. That's not useful to a shamanic practitioner. You have to go out, get the information, bring it back, and use it. That's one thing. And then there was, has been an incredible study that was done by Sandra Harner with drumming. And the people who she was working with were listening to the drum and taking journeys to the upper world. They were just shifting their frequency to that zone. And coming back from that, there was a recognition and a study that demonstrated that that improved their immune response. So not only does drumming help you shift your consciousness in a very controlled fashion, which allows for recall and, and you know, moving about fairly quickly, it also helps your immune function. So drumming tends to be probably one of the best ways, or monotonous percussion of other kinds, to alter consciousness. Hmm. Yeah, now, whenever I first participated in your workshop and you know we we put the and this was virtual right because we did this during the pandemic right but 
I was, you know, I had my headphones on. You guys played the drumming on with your drums, and I had the eye mask on. Um, that was my first, like, real experience using the drumming, and I found that I was quickly able to and when you say go to the other realms you led us first to the lower world i believe to meet our power animal and i was i was able to quickly get into that you know the one thing you had said was about suspending your disbelief and it's it's very very creative process which creativity and well-being go hand in hand do you find in your experience when you first started and also as you lead the workshops do you find people are able to move quickly into the other realms what would help people to be able to experience that journey better well first of all um you know michael horner used to say shamanism it's so easy to learn that even adults can do this. <laughs> and, yeah, I know, it's, it's funny, because kids really do this, we could say, naturally. They have their, quote, invisible friends. Yeah. But which really, More most likely, likely are, are spirit helpers. And um, I'd say by the end of a second day of an introductory shamanism workshop, 19 out of 20 people were successfully being able are successfully able to journey to these other realms, the upper world and lower. Now, why, why do we talk about these other realms? Because in these realms, there is there are lots of help, uh, potentially helping spirits, and we have not encountered any spirits in those realms that uh, mean us harm. Whereas in the middle world, which is, we could say, the uh, spiritual aspect of the physical universe, uh, a mixed bag, and you could definitely run across confused spirits, spirits that might uh, be angry, spirits that might even want to, uh, or not supportive. And so that this is why we, in order to find helping spirits, we go to up the upper world and lower world, which are realms outside of time. And we're space. Uh, yeah, and so yes, it's pretty. It's it's easy for most people, but not everyone, to learn how to journey and to begin to derive benefit from uh, the practice of shamanism. I think the people who have the hardest time doing it are those who work in very logical professions. Engineers, lawyers, they seem to have a difficult time because they're constantly questioning. What am I seeing? Is this right? And, and that certainly goes hand in hand with, with the shamanic journey. It's over time and through practice that you begin to understand that you can rely on the kinds of things you see. Hmm. People are often confused, too, about this idea of imagination. Um, imagination comes up when uh, you think that... Um, you, okay, I'm going to think, I'm going to imagine something. So there's a decision made, and you begin to conjure up in your own mind and create in your own mind a picture. That's a very different thing than entering the imaginal realm, which is a magical place of visionary experience. So um, sometimes we have to use imagination to prime the pump because that is a gift to us. But people begin to think that everything is imagination even if they've just used it to prime the pump. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we begin our travels, we, we visualize a starting point, and then from there things spontaneously take place. But you have to have a starting point that you can send. In ordinary reality. In ordinary reality. And then you move on from there into non-ordinary reality. Yeah. So... Um, that whole idea of being able to do it easily. Yes, if we let go of our expectations. Yes, if we are just open to experience and set aside all our preconceptions about what it's supposed to be. And the biggest one is, am I doing it right? <laughs> um, we're a society that wants to do everything right. And we're afraid to experiment unless we know that we're going to do it right the first time. 
which is kind of crazy. I mean, how many times did Colonel Sanders have to try the chicken before <laughs> he got his recipe, right? Right. So it's the same with shamanism. You know, letting go of being right. Just go for it, go do it, and nine times out of ten, 9.9 times out of 10, your first experience, you're doing it right, and that's because you're not thinking about it. You're just going for it. Yeah, and plus, you guys were good instructors, and I, I would... I would preface that in saying that the, you know, the place where the the shaman actually learned, I think that's important as I worked with you, you two, but I think there is something to be said about Michael Harner's training that you guys learned about and the, the standards, like Dana, you'd said, the ethics. I think that is an important thing for people to know if, if they're going to be looking for you know, something working with a shaman. I think the, yeah. yeah, that's important. Well, absolutely. Part of our ethical guidelines uh, that we follow is we don't work on behalf of anyone without their permission. And mm-hmm. so even if we think we can help someone, even if we think we can help someone, we don't do anything of a spiritual nature that is a shamanic nature without the permission of the person uh, that we would like to help. Now, that doesn't mean we can't offer help. Uh, that's fine. Or someone can, well, we can wait for someone to ask us for help. Now, you know, Michael Horner, who, who was at this for, you know, 50, 55 years or so uh, before he passed on, used to say, in doing shamanism, we, we tend to become a better person. And I, I, I and, you know, in examining that, we can say, well, why? Well, let's see. Who you hang out with tends to influence you. Now, in working with these helping spirits, and they could be an animal form or human form, they could be a tree, uh, they could be a body of water, whatever. They, we could say, embody, especially the ones in the upper world lower, for sure, embody uh, goodness and are highly ethical. And so in, in hanging out with them, and that is in journeying to them, spending time with them, taking our questions to them, employing them in uh, our attempts to help others. And being around them, who they are and what they are tends to rub off on us. And so we do. We, we, it's as if we're um, exposed to models of behavior that put a lot of human behavior to shame. And, um, and so we become better people. And also, I think... Uh, another reason uh, for this improvement, we could say, in who we are, what we are, is that we begin to really understand that everything is imbued not only with spirit but with intelligence, that everything that is deserves our uh, respect unless it proves to not deserve our respect. I'm talking mostly about humans in that regard. But uh, I have found as I've gone uh, along uh, this path that I respect animals and plants uh, far more than I ever did. And I, and I respected them before I, my involvement with shamanism. But, and we, of course, as you get older, you begin to understand your own mortality and the mortality of everything around you. And so that engenders, hopefully, more compassion. So this is a path of compassion. And so there's much to be said about it. Now, we know there are other paths as well. We're not saying that this is the only path, but this has uh, an appeal, of, I think, for, for both Shane and me, that uh, other paths can't quite match. Right, and, and I think we, we talked about the warrior, adventurer, healer, teacher. I think Michael's focus was, as you mentioned, on, on healing and teaching. And given that, the idea, I think, has always been that you can only be the best healer, the best teacher, if you are clear, clear. And by that, I mean that the shaman often is talked about as the hollow bone. And as part of the ethical discussion, the hollow bone is, is certainly necessary in the healing and in the teaching process. The point being, though, as the hollow bone, you, as the conveyor of information, the conveyor of healing, aren't meant to have any agenda that suits you. The ego needs to be set aside. 
So I can't have any vested interest, per se, in how you handle a situation that you've come to me with regards for help. The choice is always going to be yours, but I will do my utmost. My, my engagement in this is to do my utmost to be of service to you, not to have you do what you do because I told you to so that I look good. So there, there's a real kind of self-examination that goes on in becoming the hollow bone because there are times when you do question, okay, why am I doing this? Okay, time to check in. I can only do what my helping spirits are suggesting that I do because they're the ones with the cleanest, clearest sense of compassion. And then it, it's a constant check and balance against your own self that comes up because obviously somebody comes to you who's sick, you don't want them to be sick. You really want to help them. Yet you want to do what's appropriate within the shamanic context, not what you, the fixer, might want to have happen. So interesting balances, interesting checks as as you engage in practice. Yeah. Well, this kind of goes along with what you just said about like you being the hollow bone. I just um, keep going back to this first workshop I did with you because this was like my first like I think really good experience with shamanism and you definitely didn't you there's no judgment in what we experience so when we did our journeying we would then take time to write it down and we could share if we wanted and it mm-hmm. like in back to when you said there's no quote-unquote right or wrong thing we all had some very different experiences and those were validated because of um your respect for the process. So I I just wanted to say that because it's not like a judgmental thing. Like, well, that's not what that meant. Whatever we, it's up to our interpretation as far as what has happened with Uh us through the journey. And that's so exciting. That's the piece of it that is so exciting is that each person taking a journey begins to develop a personal vocabulary of experience. And it's your personal vocabulary of experience that begins to inform you as a person. Because the whole point, one of the points I see in in shamanism, is getting away from society's shoulds, have-tos, and oughts, and coming to your own personal sense, your own personal honor code, if you want to put it that way, of how to behave in the world. And so once you get rid of the shoulds, have twos, and oughts, you're able to become your authentic self, the, the spark of divinity, if you want to call it that, that came to the world, unshaded, unshadowed, unedited by the rest of the planet. Because you wouldn't be here as you if you weren't needed as you. And I think that's part of the path that, that one walks. Becoming clear is doing and becoming who you are authentically. So it's not about, I I love one of our mentors who said, you know, you can't walk around 24-7 with chicken feathers coming out of your derriere. You know, the whole idea of the people who, you know, put on the jewelry, get the braids, the the skirts, and, you know, it's like the costume comes out. It's not about putting on a costume. In fact, it's about taking off a costume and taking off a mask and letting what is real shine through. And you can only do that if you build your own vocabulary. I mean, if you take my vocabulary, then it's it's not you. So I, I think that's that's the exciting piece that comes from shamanism. You begin to explore and you begin to understand. Now, that doesn't mean your vocabulary won't match somebody else's because we do have overarching gestalts, I guess, if you want to call it that, that do inform us. But everything is going to be nuanced for you. Now, whenever you guys do journeying, because you've been doing this for a long time, do, do you still get interest? Are you still interested in it? I'm just wondering, do you get to a certain point where you don't need to journey anymore, or is it something you always do? Well, no, I, I mean, uh, why do we journey? Again, typically to help someone with a, a physical or emotional slash psychological problem. Now, we're working on the spirit level. We simply try to assist them. Uh, or we're uh, going to the helping spirits with questions. Now, uh, we always have questions that can pop up, not only our, our own, but uh, those of others who come to us and are interested in getting answers from our own, from our helping spirits rather than from their helping spirits. 
And then shamanism, uh, the shamanism that we teach, we say you can journey on behalf of yourself or you can journey on behalf of others. Uh, you can do both. And so, but typically shamanism is transpersonal. That is, if you're ailing, you'll go to the shaman who will do the work. But, you know, once you have helping spirits, we know darn well that you can go to helping spirits yourself. You can go to your helping spirits and ask for help from them. And in a sense, our helping spirits act as shamans themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, things are always coming up. And, um, you know, we try to develop new workshops here since um, uh, we started doing so many online trainings. Uh, and um, we journey, uh, some of the reasons that we take journeys these days, I think, are to get ideas uh, for new trainings and, and for things to do during those trainings. Right, and I think for me, a lot of it is exploration. Um, yes, I, I will journey to get answers for people if there are questions, but a lot of times it is an exploration. So I can journey and find out perhaps what my relationship is to horse, which is a fascinating journey um, because the horse has been such an important animal to humankind for so many years. What is the relationship that I have to horse? What can horse um, tell me, I, and that sounds like, like a very perhaps mundane journey, but when you take a journey like that and you actually encounter the spirit of horse, you begin to recognize that how we perceive horse as the four-legged animal that walks, you know, down the lane, maybe pulling a cart, there's a stronger identity behind that animal. There's like an overlord or a, it's a master that embodies qualities and characteristics, and they can be teaching. So it is endless. You could journey to every being on the planet and find out how do you relate to this? What gift do you have? What can I give you? Because we're not using these. This is called relationship. We're building relationships. Every being, every species. Every species, every species everything, from, from ant to grass to uh, the stink bug. I mean, there's just, there's so many, and now we're just talking about more animate. We can talk to stones. We can talk to the core of the earth. We can talk to the planet Mars. We can talk to storms. We can talk to clouds. Because we can recognize there's an intelligence that is embodied in all of these entities. I'll call them entities. There's intelligence there. And there's something always that we can learn from the other intelligences. Now, they're quintessential Shaman, we, we, we think, is really a master of two worlds, the physical world and the spirit world. And so I remember once Michael Heiner was asked, well, if you're just journeying all day long, during your whole waking hours, that must make you a pretty powerful shaman. And uh, Heiner replied, no, that makes you crazy. They'll probably put you in an insane asylum because clearly you're not paying attention ordinary reality to the physical your physical life so shaman is able to separate knows the difference between ordinary reality ordinary state of consciousness and non-ordinary reality that is the spirit world and uh, an altered state of consciousness and um, navigates the foot in each world mm -hmm. and so listen you you know as people get older I think we uh, are concerned about uh, maintaining uh, mental acuity and I think the shamanic journey interacting with the helping spirits is certainly one way out of many to maintain that sense of clarity and the ability to actually think and think creatively. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Also, I, for, through my experience in shamanic journeying, my mind was opened up to some other practices that I learned on the journey. But sometimes when you start talking about that, people might not understand really. So I was hoping that you could maybe explain like what a power animal is and maybe that could help people to understand like when you talk about 
coming into contact with the spirit or the spirit animal, what a power animal could do for somebody who may be struggling with anxiety or depression or, you know, some other kind of maybe physical ailment. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll take a lash at it. Okay. So a power animal, when we think about humans seem to have an ability to relate to animals fairly easily. Um, even if they don't like people, you know, they'll pet the cat, they'll, they'll get down on the ground with the dog. And I think the helping spirits are well aware of that. And because of that awareness, and because of the experiences Michael Harner had in developing workshops and his learning, the first spirit helpers that we are introduced to through the core shamanic practices are animal helping spirits. Now, another way to say that would be helping spirits who are in the guise of animals. Because I think if you look at what is underneath all of us, we are sparks of light. But some of us present as humans, some of us present as animals. So the helping spirits that present as animals and that have a deep relationship with us are often called animal helpers or power animals, guardian spirits. So in taking a first journey to discover who is connected to you, a lot of times everybody thinks, well, I've always liked this or I, you know, I'm looking for I'm looking for, and there's some preconceived notions about power. Power animals, no matter what guise they're in, from the lemming to the lion to a big cat to a snake, all of them have power. Power is energy plus intelligence plus love plus ethics. Now, this power is packaged differently, and because it's packaged differently, some of the qualities are very distinctive. So perhaps if someone is going through an issue of great fear and they need courage, they may find a Cape Buffalo. And so as they begin to study the Cape Buffalo and understand the strength and the fortitude and, and the protection that this, this Cape Buffalo offers them, and as they begin to relate to that Cape Buffalo, those qualities of the Cape Buffalo becomes something that is shared. And it's understood that the shaman with a power animal, helping spirit, has an alter ego. So thus, when a person who may be somewhat shy or timid has to give a speech, before that speech, they will take time. You can meditate. You can take a journey. You can ask that power animal, that Cape Buffalo, for example, to accompany you to give the speech, and there is a definite sense that through the presence of that being, there is a kind of strength and ability to do what you need to do and to do it well. So this, this is the kind of thing that happens as people align themselves with these helping spirits, with these animal helping spirits, power animals. They begin to share the qualities of the beings that they encounter. And some, pe some people become disappointed if they go down and they see, oh my gosh, I've discovered the vulture. <laughs> and that, a lot of times, has to do with preconceived notions and societal notions about the being they've discovered. But once you've discovered that a vulture can process toxicity and can, can deal with things that are literally poisons to others, well, you suddenly realize why you, living in an abused situation, an abusive situation, are now powered up by this vulture who can help you deal with toxicity. Hmm. So things, things can be very interestingly um, experienced, these, these coincidences. It, it's like there's the old saying, you never get what you don't need. Um, you may not get what you want, but what you need steps forward when you ask when you put out that call. Yeah, uh, that was a really good explanation of what the power animal can do for somebody. That was, like I said, one of my first experiences in the very first workshop that I took with you. 
I still call on the power animals that I have found through my journeying mm-hmm. to help me out. And so I think that when I when I look at it from the perspective of somebody who maybe is searching for ways to find healing or even just to experience something new, I see it as, you know, a connection with the energies in our universe, whether they're through the animal or through, you know, the, the human spirit or the divine spirit. It's that connection with that divine spark in all of us. And, exactly. And even in rocks. And I liked, you know, when you said that, like any kind of thing in our universe is energy and we can learn from it. We can communicate with it. We can be in community with it and that's one thing that I think that for shamanism I think that really could help somebody to just get more connected well you know the shaman understands that uh, all beings are our relations and and the shaman I think uh, understands that uh, there's not a pyramid representing uh, all forms of life with humanity at the top. I mean, all you have to do is look at the the, 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 the damage that humans do on the planet to realize that we can't be at the top anyway. But the uh, shaman understands that really there's a circle of life and that all beings, plants, animals, uh, rocks, rivers, I mean, we're all points on that circle and there's no hierarchy and after all, you know, scientifically, uh, when you look at the beginning of the universe and the beginning of the solar system, we all, we all come from the same thing. Mm. And so how can, it, how can everything that is not be related to us? And actually, that begs the question, do humans uh, care about their relations? Mm. Do they care about their brothers and sisters in the animal kingdom and in the plant kingdom? Or are they so selfish that they just exploit those? And if uh, you feel a sense of responsibility to your your relatives, uh, your human relatives, why wouldn't you, uh, given uh, shamanic wisdom, understand that you have a sense of responsibility to all your relatives and that therefore you would take care of everything that surrounds you as opposed to destroy things and, and to exploit things and so you see shamanism really is the perfect kind of spirituality for the evolution of the human species curiously it's a very ancient spiritual practice it may go back 30, 40, 50,000 years uh, back, you know, uh, and, and yet it's a perfect spirituality for today. And frankly, of course, in our opinion, much, much needed. Yeah, so when, if somebody listening to this podcast is wondering, like, where can they go to learn more, you two offer workshops. How can people find out about these workshops? Yeah. Well, uh, we have a website, um, www.shaman, S-H-A-M-A-N, tracks, T-R-A-C-K-S, dot com. And um, I am uh, uh, an instructor with, and uh, Shana assists me in workshops for the foundation for shamanic studies, which was founded and directed for many years by Michael Horner, and that's www.shamanism.org. Hmm. And so you will see, uh, you know, the, a listing of um, our up, upcoming online workshops. We hope to get back to doing some in-person workshops somewhere along the line, and uh, but uh, they can reach us ultimately through those two work. Uh, websites and you both wrote a couple of books right you have a couple of books that you've written yeah sure enough. go ahead yeah okay so um together we wrote the book it's called uh the spirit mate 
Shamanism and the Spirit Mate. Yes, I couldn't remember the title. I'm glad you're here. And the Spirit Mate, which is an interesting uh, topic of this uh, having a a significant other in spiritual form. And it occurs in shamanic practice and, and in everyday practice and even in... Hollywood movies, but uh, what's, what's, now, name a couple of other books of yours. Okay, well, I have Terra Signs, which is a book dealing with landscapes and how landscapes inform us, because as we talked before, everything has information encoded in it. So finding yourself in an Arctic zone um, or looking at a lake, these, these are intelligences, and we're able to use them to gain information and insight. And so that's, that's pretty much what that book is about. Um, I'm actually looking at coming up with a second edition for that, so that should come out shortly. Stay tuned. And then uh, I wrote a little book on uh, my shamanic experiences and um, that outlines uh, shamanism uh, to a certain extent and... Uh, that is called a shamanic altar, uh, and also we co-wrote um, a time travel novel with a, a good friend of ours, and that's called Sky Tide, and we had a lot of fun with that, and I think it's pretty good. It's certainly an entertaining read. Uh, people have found the people who read it. So, yeah, and all those things, uh, all those books are available through Amazon.com. Hmm. Well, uh, that's that's awesome. Now, Dana or Shane, I've read the Terra Signs, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, I haven't read the other books, but I, um, they're on my list of things to do. And um, but I just wanted to say that um, we could go on forever with the, and I want to have you probably on for another podcast adventure. But um, is if you could say to somebody who is looking to either solve some kind of health issue or just to get more connected with themselves and those around them, what's the first step they should take if they're interested in shamanism? Well, I would say to um, take an introductory course with us would be nice. Yeah. And... We have one coming up in November, uh, uh, right in front of me. Um, uh, but you can find that uh, mentioned at our website. But also to read uh, Michael Horner's book, The Way of the Shaman, we'd highly recommend that. I think, yeah, the first thing would be to learn how to journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most well, important you thing, which you could do through the workshops. You would have the instructions. Sure, yes, and it's very good instructions. I highly recommend that somebody interested in shamanism take your basic shamanism workshop and just get on that journeying path because um, it, it's it's interesting and it's is uh it'll expand your well-being as 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 well as expand your knowledge of what our world is all about i just wanted to thank you guys so much for coming on to my podcast and um it was very it was very interesting and i know the listening audience is going to enjoy this